evening, church. I want to start by um, making a little bit of an announcement that um, throughout, the, throughout most of this year on Sunday nights, we've developed sort of a rhythm of what we've tried to do in our evening sermons. Um, we've got a night where we put a text on the screen and we learn from it. We've got a night where we dedicate our time to our young people and our families. We've got a night where um, we, uh, you know, hear different messages that are kind of open-ended. And then um, we have a song and a prayer night that we do um, every fourth Sunday night, a youth night. So I wanted to um, let those of you know that are here, and then you can keep this on the recording, and then we'll make the announcement later. But um, if you have a, I, I want to give you a couple ways to engage with the sermons. That, that's what I'm getting to. I want to give you a couple ways to be involved with the sermons. First way is this. If you have a Bible text that you are interested in us using for our lab nights the first night of each month where we put it on the screen and the congregation goes through it together to deconstruct it and make sense of it and then we preach it back if you have a bible text that you've been wrestling with or one that you're interested in us using send that my way uh you can email me you can leave me a note you can uh tell karen you can give something to matt you can get it to us somehow but let let me know if that's one that you would like to do so we would like um uh, your involvement with that the second way is this, um, we want to open up an invitation to the members of the body uh, to be able to ask questions. And so if you have a question that you would like Matt or I to preach, uh, to deal with, um, get that to us somehow. You can email Matt, you can email me, you can email Karen, one of our elders, you can write it down on a piece of paper and give it to one of us, leave it on our desk. If you have a question that you would like to remain uh, anonymous, something that you're wrestling with or struggling with you'd like us to deal with but you would like it to remain anonymous that's okay too um you can just write it on a um a note leave it somewhere on karen's desk or my desk or somewhere in the office write it and uh, mail it to us with no uh return address you know if you want to go that route what, whatever I, what we just want is that our sermons actually uh to be responsive to some of the things that you're thinking and struggling and wrestling with we want to be serving you with that. So two ways that you can be involved right now directly. You can make requests for text to be broken down and studied together as a whole. And you can ask questions. And we'll use some of our Sunday nights to uh, begin addressing some of those questions um, when we get those and as we respond to them. So thank you for the few minutes there uh, as we get started tonight. Our story tonight is um, a glimpse into one of my favorite Bible characters, Samuel. Um, Samuel is a really, really interesting figure, and this I, I chose this particular story from Samuel's life for a particular reason. Um, we're going to eventually spill out, uh, after we talk a little bit about the background of this text, talking about the idea of integrity, of having integrity. And Samuel, this story here especially, is a story of a young person who is still a boy in the eyes of uh, most of the people in that generation, in that culture at that time, a, a young boy still having an incredible amount of integrity to speak to Eli, something that was incredibly difficult. But for us to get the weight and sort of the impact of the story, we've got to back up and make sure we remember what's going on in Samuel's life, what's going on in the life of Israel at this time. I don't want to take for granted that all of you, when I begin to talk about Samuel, know immediately all the things that are happening in um, ancient Israel at this time. So when you sort of back up, you remember that Samuel is a miracle baby. Remember this part of Samuel's life? Hannah was his mother, and she was barren for many, many years. It was very troublesome to her. In fact, um, her husband's other wife would oftentimes make it very hard on her and, and, and poke fun at her and ridicule her and mock her. 
And all the time, Hannah was going up into the tabernacle, and she was praying to the Lord over and over that she would have a son. And uh, she was praying deeply about this. And one day, in fact, she was praying so deeply that Eli looked over and thought that she was intoxicated, thought that she was drunk, the way that she was praying and weeping, longing for a baby. And in this prayer, um, Hannah vowed that if God would be so willing to give her a child, a little boy, she would dedicate that child's life back to God. He would take a vow and he would be God's servant his entire life. And God actually heard her request through Eli's blessing, granted her request, and she went home and she um, had a child. And, um, and then Hannah honored her vow by giving that child back to God. After the child was weaned, Samuel, so he's probably about four years old, he was weaned from his mother. She took him back to the tabernacle where Eli was. And she left him there under Eli's care. Uh, which we'll get to in a moment, which is kind of a miraculous thing anyway to be thinking about doing when you think about how Eli was with parenting. Um, so she brings Samuel to the tabernacle and leaves him with Eli. And he was given an ephod, which is kind of interesting because that was a garment that was reserved only for the priests that were serving the priesthood. And so at, even at a young age, he was seen as a young man, as a priest in training. And so he was wearing an ephod. Um, and he would begin serving Eli around the tabernacle. And when we say serving in the tabernacle, what, Eli, what Samuel was probably doing was like cleaning up around, sweeping, dusting, opening the doors for people to come each morning uh, to be able to offer sacrifices and pray. And so at the same time, so, so Samuel began to live at the tabernacle with Eli and to begin to serve God by doing menial tasks around the area as from the time he was a young boy. And at the same time, there's Eli, who is this aged, uh, respected, public figure in the nation of Israel. He is a judge, he is a priest, and he's probably a counselor and all, sort, all sorts of other things that he was partaking in. But he was having professional success, yet he was having private and personal trouble. He was a judge and a priest, as I mentioned, and from what we can tell... Eli seemed to do his public job pretty well. He carried the job for 40 years. And that's a pretty long run to be able to do a job for a nation as large as Israel. And he was, seemed to be doing it pretty well publicly, but privately his life was falling apart. These were pretty dark days for Eli. These were pretty dark days for his family. He was experiencing a lot of trouble with his sons. You know, we don't see a lot in Scripture about what Eli could have done. There's a few references about uh, that he could have intervened a few times with his sons, but um, we do know that God held him accountable for this. It does seem consistent, though, that God expected Eli to do more with his children than he did. That we can at least understand that from, from God, what he's saying about uh, his judgment that he's going to bring to Eli, that Eli and the raising of his two sons could have done more to lead them in the precepts and the statutes of God, but he didn't do that. And so when, uh, as Samuel begins to grow, there's a man of God, we don't know who it is, comes to Eli, and he tells Eli that his family, his sons and Eli, their lineage would be cut off from the priesthood because of their evil behavior, the two sons, and that these two sons would die on the same day. Little did Eli know he would die too. Side fact, he died from falling out of a chair, which is really, really unfortunate. Um, he literally did fall out of a chair and broke his neck and he died right there in front of it. It also says he's a little bit overweight, so that, uh, um, 
that's my motivation to keep sticking with this nutritionist. But anyway, um, so his, both of his sons are going to die. And as you can see, incredibly difficult days are there in front of Eli. There's difficult days for his sons. The priesthood in general is having some difficult days. And God's nation, the nation of Israel, is having some difficult days. You see, in the past, God had spoken directly to guys like Moses and then Joshua. Spoken directly to them, had, had been communicating his word to them, and they would relay that to the people of Israel for, for about 300 years or so. During the time of the judges, God's word began to fade out. In fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, verse 1, it says that barely God's word was even heard at all. In fact, all the prophets had sort of dwindled away. There weren't even, even really any mention of prophets. And it's easy to see why, as if you read the book of Judges and see how Israel sort of lived. So there are no doubt, and there's no doubt that Samuel is aware of what Eli's sons are up to. There's no doubt that, that, Eli, that Samuel knows all the shenanigans, so to speak, that Eli's sons are partaking in, and there's Samuel living there. But Samuel remains faithful to Eli, he remains faithful to God in his service. And in that context, we come to our story. Samuel is still a young boy in 1 Samuel chapter 3. And he might be a teenager by now. And he hears a call three times. And the first three times, he thinks it's Eli, the old man, the priest, calling for him. And so he goes to see Eli, and he's like, hey, what do you want? You know, probably in a much more respectful way, but I heard you call. What can I do for you? And Eli is in bed, and he leans up, and he says, I didn't call for you. Go back to bed. And then the third time, he comes and he says, okay, Eli, what, do you, what did you call for? Eli says, it's probably the Lord who's calling you. So say this. The next time you hear him, say, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. Okay, so he goes back. Samuel goes back to his place. And the Lord addresses him again. And this time... Samuel, this probably teenager, says, speak, Lord, your servant hears or is listening. And God begins to tell him, Samuel, word from God directly to Samuel, minting him as a prophet, the judgment that God is going to bring on Eli. That's the first message he gets from God. Not, it's going to rain for six months and then be dry for six months, or not, king so-and-so of nation so-and-so is going to come after you so make sure you're ready at this hill at this time that's not his message he doesn't set samuel up to be a hero with a message to deliver israel he sets him up with a message of condemnation to doom the man who has given his life to mentor him in the work of priesthood now just try to put yourself into his i guess sandals right put, put yourself into his shoes there you are as a teenager with a man who has served his life as a priest in the work of God for years. And he has cared for you, clothed you, and fed you, taught you, and trained you. And you know about some of the problems in his family. You probably are one of the people, if you're Samuel, who sympathizes with him. You're not an outsider just judging his parenting, you know, like, I wouldn't do that. I'd do it so much better. You're on the inside with him. You probably know the things that he did try. You probably have some thoughts in your mind about the things he could try. But you probably hurt for Eli a little bit about the debacle that his sons have made of the priesthood. Most likely Samuel feels some measure of loyalty to Eli. Do you agree, do you think? 
I think so. And there God speaks to him and says, I, want, I have a message for you of condemnation for Eli and his sons. And it's a heavy message. And then we see the next morning he wakes up, opens the doors, and Eli says, Samuel, come. And he comes and he says, here I am. And he says, what did the Lord say to you? And the Bible tells us that Samuel was afraid to tell Eli. I understand. I think I would be afraid to tell Eli. He's scared to tell him the truth. He's scared to tell him what God has said. And, and Eli says to him, this, this is not a manipulation. This is pretty respectful. He says, may God do to you and more if you don't tell me. Meaning what, what Eli is saying is, this is between me and God. Don't, don't step in the middle of it and not tell me. That, that's really what that means. This is between me and God. So God will bring on to you this and even more if you don't just transfer the information to me so it's between me and God. So Eli's pretty wise, pretty sharp guy. And then it says that Samuel told him everything. He probably went back to work after he did. Dusting and cleaning, taking out trash, meeting with people, seeing if he can do anything for people that are coming in, knowing he just laid not a word from a man of God, but from God himself, judgment that is going to come. And as I read that story, there's a thousand things we can talk about, right? Warning to parents and judgment of God and telling the truth and all. The word that just kept coming to the surface for me as I spent time dwelling on this was integrity. That from an early age, Samuel was a man in a boy's body living with the mind of incredible integrity. See, the word integrity just means to be in a state or condition where you are whole, you are undivided, meaning that you don't, there's not like one of you publicly and one of you privately. There's not a one of you in this place and one of you in that place. There's not one of you with this group of people and another version of you with that group of people. Integrity means you are who you are regardless of who's around you. And you're willing to tell the truth regardless of who's listening. And you're willing to serve regardless of who's in front of you. Integrity. Samuel has incredible amounts of integrity. And what I thought we could do is just kind of look at his story here and see if you and I could together kind of deconstruct some of the pieces that built his integrity, okay? And what kind of get to the heartbeat and the DNA of what integrity really is so that we might become people who have incredible amounts of integrity. Let's start with this. First of all, I believe integrity begins. It has its roots, its seed with humility. It's really hard to have integrity when you have pride. Because if you have pride, you will be worried about your face, your image, your reputation in front of people. That's what pride is. I care about what people think about me, and I want to project to people an image. And so if I have pride, and I'm in front of a certain group of people, and they value things, I'm going to be that way in front of them. And then I go around a different group of people who value different things, I'm going to be that way in front of them. Does that make sense? It's incredibly difficult to have integrity and pride. But Samuel has humility. From the time he was four, he started his work at the bottom. He was the mail clerk in the big corporation, so to speak. He didn't walk in saying, here's my ephod, give me the big boy job, I'm ready to light some incense, I'm going to run this place. He didn't. He walked in and quietly served. Do you notice what he did the morning he woke up when he had to tell Eli? Do you see what he did? He did the menial job of opening the doors. He was the doorkeeper. 
He was the guy that woke up and went and opened the doors. He was usher number one for you ushers back there. He was the real deal, so just kidding. Um, but integrity begins with our humility. It begins there. Secondly, integrity is always empowered by an example. Meaning you get people in your life that you look up to that have integrity. It's hard to have integrity if you live in a vacuum around people that don't have integrity. You've got to get people in your life that show you a model of what it's like to live with integrity. You've got to have some heroes, so to speak, that inspire you to live the way that you believe that you ought to live. And for um, Samuel, most likely this happened to be his mother. His mother had incredible amounts of integrity. Think about what you would do, moms. You pray to God, you make this vow, God, I promise I will give you this son to be yours. Uh, you're probably still at this time like, I'm not sure I'm really going to get one, but I promise. And then a baby comes. And she honors her word. Whew. Do you think she was tempted with, he could probably serve God here, right? You know, I can have him uh, say some prayers for people in our house. I could have him read the book of the law. I'll go buy him Isaiah even. The whole scroll, 53 feet long when you unroll it. We're going to read the whole thing together. He could serve God here, but I just want him. I've cherished him. Just think about the amount of integrity that Hannah had to say, okay, at four years old, I'm going to walk him on our yearly trip to the tabernacle, and I'm going to leave him so that he can serve God. I wonder, oftentimes it says that she came back year after year and brought him a robe that she made. Probably worked all year on that robe to fit his size. Can you imagine what they talked about on their once-a-year visit? I bet they had a lot of conversation about keeping your word and honoring your commitments. Maybe when he was five, he wanted to go home with her. And he had to talk to her. Remember, he's a real boy, she's a real mom. And he had to talk, and she had to talk to him about how important it is when you make a vow to God that you keep your word. I imagine they talked about that. I imagine they talked about how good God is and delivering his people and caring for his people. About how precious God has been to Hannah just to give him Samuel. I imagine their conversations revolved around integrity a lot. Thirdly, integrity demands that we have a standard, that we are living up to something. For Samuel, it was God. You see, when he said, speak Lord, your servant is listening. When he said, speak Lord... What he's saying is not just some reverential mister or sir. What he's saying is L-O-R-D was the word they used for covenant God that I serve. You're my master. So when he said speak Lord, it was not a trivial word. It was actually one that he feared. He's saying you are my God and I fear you. Integrity continues with the humility to be guided. Samuel said to God, speak Lord, I'm listening. It's really hard to have integrity if we're the ones that are always talking, not listening. Integrity requires reflection. When Samuel receives the message from God of condemnation, can you imagine, like, remember God said to him, when people hear of this, their ears are going to tingle when they hear about this. Imagine what Samuel's stomach did when he heard this. You ever felt nervous about something? You ever felt nervous about what you got to do the next day, something big on your plate, that tingle in your stomach, that anxiousness of heart, you know, like squeezing starts to happen, you get a little, I bet Samuel felt some of that, but look what he did, he went to bed, I don't know if he slept, but he went to bed, meaning he didn't rush right in, shake Eli's shoulder and say, oh man, I got to tell you something, he paused, he reflected. 
he gathered himself. You see, it's really, really hard for us to have integrity if we are just impulsively reacting too quickly. If we impulsively react to everything in the moment in which we receive it, it's going to be really hard for us to have integrity. How often have we looked back and had some regret about how we have reacted in the moment, saying things like, that's not really who I want to be, or I wish I didn't do that, or man, I just really regret the way that I you know, showed myself in that moment. It's hard to have integrity because in the moment we get heated and impulsive. And Samuel backed up and said, I'm going to wait, gather myself. I'm going to think. Integrity means that we remain grounded. As I mentioned before, the first thing he did when he got up was went about his normal routine. He got a word from God when it was rare in those days. There weren't prophets to speak of in 1 Samuel chapter 3. There was no man out there saying, I've got another word from God today. He was it. He didn't get too, as they say, big for his britches. He didn't get too big in his head. God had just spoke to him. And he got up and he still was willing to open doors. So he remained grounded. Integrity means that we face our fears. Integrity does not mean that you are fearless. So, so experiencing fear does not eliminate your integrity. You see it says that Samuel actually felt fear. Integrity means even though I'm afraid, I will face what I'm afraid. And I'll walk through it. Samuel was afraid to face Eli and yet he was willing to do it. And ultimately... Integrity means that we actually have to become selfless. Integrity is such a personal quality about who I am. And what's interesting is it actually demands that you become a selfless person. I mentioned this already before, but Eli pressed Samuel to tell him, what did God say? Now, I'm guessing Samuel didn't really want to tell him. Maybe he didn't want to be the bearer of bad news. Maybe he didn't want to watch his friend be uh, crushed. Maybe he didn't want to watch his mentor and his guide be so discouraged. Well, there were a lot of things that Samuel himself was feeling, but who were all those feelings for? Fear and worry. And just, those were all whose feelings? Eli's or Samuel's? Samuel's, right? And in that moment, Samuel did not act considering only his feelings. He said, this is a word from God, and even if I'm not pleased to share it with Eli, I need to share it because it belongs between him and me. You see, to withhold saying that to Eli would have made that situation all about Samuel. I don't like this, therefore I'm not going to do it. We oftentimes withhold hard truths with people. We should do it in a loving way, but hard truths with people, not because we love them, but because we love us. I don't want to feel uncomfortable. I don't want it to be awkward. I don't want to make them feel bad. And all those statements sound noble, but they're really self-serving. I don't want to be the person that makes you feel this way. To hold you, do you see what I'm saying? And Samuel in that moment said, even though I don't like this and want to do it, I will, I will share it with Eli because it's for him from God. He actually was selfless. And ultimately, integrity, as we see at the end there, leaves reaction to others. Samuel didn't get caught up in how people reacted to this. It says that from north to south, the whole entire kingdom knew that he was a prophet now. And yet as a boy, he would continue to remain a servant of God and a servant of Eli. He didn't care that he was famous now across the whole nation as the prophet of God. He still was just a lowly servant in God's house in the tabernacle. 
Integrity was powerful. It actually allowed Samuel to accomplish a lot. Let me tell you just a few accomplishments and we'll wrap up. Samuel was, because of his integrity, able to anoint and appoint the first two kings in Israel. Saul and then David. And his selfless servant-mindedness, his willingness to listen subtly to God, is what allowed him to actually appoint even David himself. Remember when he went to Jesse's house? There was a subtle word in the background, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7, where God said to Samuel, Samuel, 